As leaders of Investec and Naspers, companies held in the highest esteem not only locally but internationally, Puti Mahanyele Dabengwa and Fanititi are two of South Africa's most successful business people. When they speak, people listen, and lately they've had a lot to say, not just about their own businesses and industries, but also about some of the most urgent issues facing South Africa right now, including the dangerous and unconscionable level of inequality in our society, the parlous state of our education system, and the plight of the country's entrepreneurs. I'm Kathy Mutlachlana. Welcome to another episode of Investec Focus Talks, a series of candid conversations with leaders, innovators, and changemakers. I'll kick off our conversation by saying that perhaps both of you, in your own words, reflect on where the country is right now and how you define this moment. Putti, I'll start with you. Thank you so much, Kathy. It's it's really good to to be able to speak to you. Um, and it's awful to be in the environment that that we currently are in. However, I believe that the country needs to use this kind of, this crisis that we're in, um, and I believe that it's far from over as a seminal moment to reassess the state of our country and to really make hard decisions and to take decisive action to get us back on track. According to Stats SA, youth unemployment in South Africa is now at 46.3%. And that was as of uh, this first quarter. And youth account 59.5% of the total number of unemployed persons. We can't continue on this trajectory of an unequal society, a public that feels let down, an ailing infrastructure, or an economy that is struggling. It's a complex and difficult situation And the question on everyone's minds is certainly what needs to be done to improve things. I believe that we have a nation that is resilient, creative and hardworking, and we have great minds and experienced individuals from various sectors of society. I see such people amongst the founders uh, that we have of businesses here in businesses that we invest in through the foundry. These are young, highly educated people who come from, you know, have been educated from around the world, but they choose to be in South Africa. They choose to be here. And so we need to use this moment and these great minds around us and, and come up with pragmatic steps to be able to deal with the issues, issues that will generate jobs, improve training and development of people, restore confidence back into the country, and we need to do so urgently. Thank you so much for that, Puti. You've certainly given us a good foundation to build on in terms of where else this conversation is going to go. Uh, Mr. Titi? Thank you, Kathy, and uh, welcome to Puti. That was really wonderful to hear uh, Puti respond on the question of the moment that we're in. When there is a a level of hopelessness, I always want to look at my own life as a a story of hope, a story of possibility, and a story of progress. Uh, When um, I lived in a shack uh, some uh, 40-odd years ago, I didn't even know whether I would be able to go to university. It looked impossible. Uh, And as Nelson Mandela says, it looks impossible until it is done. So at a moment of hopelessness and despair, I would like to offer my own life as uh, a symbol of hope that we can indeed make progress uh, and address the ills that we see today. 
I think as we look forward, as Putty said, we need to understand this is a moment of crisis, understand that we still have a country where citizens want to make the country work. We still have a number of advantages, as an example, as a, an emerging market. Uh, a lot of uh, foreign uh, investors still see us as uh, a gateway uh, to Africa. We are at a point in history where uh, commodity uh, economies are doing better and we, we were doing better and are still doing better as a country. We were at a point where the president was beginning to make significant decisions to reform the economy so that we can have economic growth and thereby jobs. So not all is lost, but we shouldn't waste this crisis that we're in at the moment. So going forward, I think government has to be more prepared uh, for any of these uh, events that have occurred. As uh, Standard & Poor, the rating agency have said, uh, this is a setback, but if we can make sure that we learn out of it and it doesn't occur again, we should be able to continue to attract a level of interest. So we need government to be prepared and ready and to learn from this particular uh, setback. Second, I think business has seen the importance of growth that is inclusive. Generally at Investec and I think at NASPERS, we've always been of the view that we have to have inclusive growth, we have to have growth that does not just uh, cater for the business leaders and, and cater for corporates, but growth has to be manifested in jobs uh, because that's how you get uh, development. So at Investec, we focus on entrepreneurship, we focus on education as the two planks around which uh, we can assist the country to move forward. So from a business perspective, I think we have to be urgent in our response uh, to this particular crisis to rebuild uh, with a sense of urgency and inclusion. So in my view, a moment of uh, crisis, but not a moment of hopelessness. And, and I think what you're, talk, what you're saying about business, Fanny, is quite important, rethinking how business does its work in our countries and how they can be part of the solution in terms of responding to the high inequality that we're facing in our communities. Before we get to that, however, you mentioned something um, in, in, in that statement. You're talking about how your own story of hope, your story of having grown up in a shack to being the Investec CEO is a story that should show South Africans what is still possible. It's near unimaginable to think of you right now in your current position as somebody who had once lived in a shack. Speak to us a little bit about that journey of entrepreneurship, because we've got so many people that are struggling on that journey just to make ends meet and are struggling to make a success of, of their businesses. And, and perhaps just, you know, your own reflections on some of the difficult days and, and what it took for you to get through them. I mean, first and foremost, uh, my breakthrough came through education. Uh, my parents had uh, no access to resources Right from high school, I, I got funded uh, through bursaries right through to university. And I started off working as a teacher, but decided that was not uh, the sum total of who I was going to be as valuable as the teaching profession is, because that's, that's where you uh, prepare the next generation to be participants in society, in the economy. Um, so at uh, the ripe age, uh, the, the right, uh, the, the ripe uh, uh, age of 30, 
I decided I wanted to go back to school to uh, do an MBA to prepare myself to go into, into business. And after two years of uh, studying at uh, the Vet Business School, I uh, went out into industry and was in it for about five years or so uh, to gain experience before I decided that uh, I wouldn't want to be working for somebody else for the rest of my life. I would like to be a business owner. I would like to be a creator uh, of, uh, of jobs as such. And I went into, into my own business uh, at a later stage. So those early days were days of uncertainty, but uh, I think I was prepared at the time, uh, given uh, my education, given my certain desire to be an entrepreneur. So the early years were difficult. I had a, a big break when I went out and uh, raised capital from Investec at the time. That was about uh, uh, 2001, raised seven and a half million rand uh, on the back of the track record that I had already established as, as a business person, started an investment company, and those few years uh, of, uh, of starting in 2001 to about 2006, 7 were particularly important. Being in your own business is hard. Uh, the difference between success and failure is not uh, that much. You need to have a very strong mind uh, to, to change the circumstances around you to make sure that you can succeed. So a preparedness uh, in terms of education, in terms of experience, um, a mindset uh, that you would like to be a uh, a business owner, a creator uh, of jobs, and a tenacity in terms of your attitude because business is about failure. You will make mistakes. You will not be successful at, at first. Sometimes you will struggle to raise uh, capital um, as it were. Or in fact, you have a number of failures. Some of the best entrepreneurs will tell you about uh, the failures that, that they have experienced in their own lives. So in, in my case, the breakthrough uh, was really on the back of the experience that I had built before I went out uh, on mm. my own. Mm. And the kind of education that you've been able to access, Fanny, is, is actually not many that people would be able to access, at least not the majority of people in this country, Puti. You, you've dabbled somewhat as an entrepreneur as well. And um, perhaps just your own reflections on what really makes it difficult for entrepreneurs to thrive in, in this country. And, and your story is also one that many South Africans can relate to, you know, you know, kind of trying to trade between the corporate world and then also having your own dreams and businesses to look after. No, thank you, Kathy. Um, I think when I look at that question, I'd like to just take a step back um, and, and, and really look at just where, where I come from. Um, because I think certainly were it not for, for my parents, um, the opportunities that I've had in life, um, I, I probably would not, because I, I don't think I had the tenacity of somebody like Fanny. But, you know, I, I, I'm really grateful to them. They came, you know, my father came from Middlelands and my, father, and my, my mother from Zola. Uh, my mother died when we were still very young. And so my father took on the role of mom and dad. Um, and he came from very little from a financial perspective. I mean, you know, we, we've always had great family, but from a financial perspective, you know, he came from, from, from very little. Um, but he, he built himself firstly through access to education. As Fanny spoke of education, that was the first ladder that he used and completed his undergrad in economics and then MBA and, and then finally the doctorate. 
Um, and so it, it was whilst continuing with his education that he then got access to corporate opportunities. So it is with this background that I came into um, corporate South Africa. I had had you know, a, a parent who was able to put my sister and I through private education. And then when I completed um, you know, um, high school here in South Africa, which was one of the first multiracial schools in South Africa in the 1980s, um, I then uh, was able to, I, I went to the States and did my undergrad degree. Um, and so when, when, when I completed um, my undergrad and you know, continued with, with, with my master's, um, I took on a few corporate roles um, in infrastructure finance here in South Africa. Um, and I think my entrepreneurial journey really started when I joined Shanduka. You know, I remember asking the question, okay, how much capital do we have available for acquisitions that we need to make for this energy division? Um, and they looked at me and they said, uh, none. <laughs> so it wasn't just about creating a business, but it was also about having a story to raise capital so that you could make acquisitions. Anyway, I, I then I, I met with the, a man, his name was Johan de Force. He had just left Cecil um, and he had been working on the gas pipeline between South Africa and uh, Mozambique. Um, and so he now had a, this plan to come up with this uh, gas business uh, in, in, in Mozambique and he was looking for a partner. And so we invested into his business. And then soon thereafter, we were, um, uh, you know, we, we, we came across this company. It's a, it was a FTSE listed uh, company uh, and the company was called Greco. And they do all the energy support for sports tournaments around the world. Um, and so they were looking for a partner. This was now leading up to the 2010 uh, World Cup. So they were looking for a partner and that it, it was brilliant. We worked well together. And thereafter, we started working on a number of other projects. And in fact, um, when you are in Durban and you're on the highway, you'll see the Greco facilities uh, on, on, on the highway because the business continued uh, here in, in, in South Africa. But what I learned in my journey of entrepreneurship was just the importance of partnership. Um, you know, I think over everything that you do in the business, primarily your partnership with your business partners is, is key to being able to really succeed um, because you can really build on that. Um, and I think, you know, when, when you look at South African entrepreneurs, you see the difficulties that South African entrepreneurs face, um, you know, and, and, you know, when you see the, the, the fierce uh, shocks that, you know, COVID-19, the pandemic um, has had um, on, on entrepreneurs, um, the impact is even more magnified. Um, and so we need to, to find ways to, to support these businesses, these small businesses, um, so that they can, because they make up a significant portion of the economy of South Africa. So we need to be able to support these SME uh, businesses um, if, if we are to grow. My own journey was different because when I left Shanduka and started uh, my own business, it, it was very different um, because, um, you know, I, I was able to, to speak to one of the banks and uh, they were ready to make a fund available for us um, and for us to be able to invest into different businesses. But when you look at, at the small and medium-sized enterprises, those are the businesses that we need to support because those are the highest employers of people in our nation. And, you know, and, and, and that is where many young people get opportunities to actually be employed um, earlier on than, than actually in corporates.
Mm. Yeah. Just on this issue mm. of, of education, and we you, you were quoting earlier the high mm. unemployment rate in the country and how business needs to rethink its strategy in terms of responding to the challenges, specifically in, in South Africa. Many of these young unemployed people would not necessarily have access to any form of higher education. How do we respond to the challenge then within our own unique context where having any kind of higher qualification is more of a privilege and and a luxury than something that's easily accessible? You know, when I look at the the sector that that we're in, the, the, the tech sector, Right now, this is a sector that imports skills into South Africa because we we don't have the skilling here. And, you know, when I I remember I was talking to the head of Google here in South Africa, and he was telling me about their focus on creating um, one million uh, jobs, you know, here on, on, on the African continent. And, and our focus is also on, on creating jobs, but also on skilling. So, you know, every year we are focused on ensuring that we are providing skilling to young people. So last year we, we, we skilled and, 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 and provided employment to uh, 450 young, 415 young people. Um, and this year we're doing so for 1,500 young people. And these are not people that are to be employed by us, but they are to be employed in the industry because in the industry they are required. So whilst it is important to be able to create opportunities for people to be able to go to universities, not everyone will go to universities. Um, And so you you need to have different types of skills. So when I look at the young people that that are skilled through through our uh, processes, it's young people who come from universities, but it's also young people who don't have any university education. They've just got high school education. Um, but, you know, we, 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 there is so much opportunity that, that, that we can still create here in South Africa. I mean, we could be the funnel for all of these young people with digital skills here on, in South Africa, actually on the African continent for the world, because the world needs the skilling. So, you know, the opportunities are there. We just have to go for them. Mm-hmm. We've heard people talk about the fourth industrial revolution, and uh, depending on which speech you're listen- listening to, it, it forms part of the rhetoric of, of the day. But are we really truly identifying the opportunities that lie there, Puti? Well, I think often when you hear people speak about the fourth industrial revolution, it's typically people that are not in the industry. Technology is, is it, it, it's the way to go for different sectors. And I'm sure Fani will tell you in the financial services sector, they are also looking at technology, how they can use technology. So whether we like it or not, it is happening. And and at the end of the day, we need to be part of the world. And, And I think for us being a company that is operating in just around 100 markets around the world, um, from Russia, Brazil, China, you know, South Africa, um, we all the BRICS nations, we, we see that this is the only way to go. And the thing with technology is that it's inclusive. You, you know, you'll recall that I mentioned that we get both university students as well as high school or, you know, whatever schooling uh, young people have got, and we are able to provide them with the skilling that they required. Kathy, yeah. if I may come in on this one, um, clearly we have a, a big unemployment problem. 
uh, in the country. And we need to address that problem through a number of programs. And, and I, I can talk about what we are doing. We were quite instrumental in, in starting up the YES program that seeks to uh, use corporates to give young kids an opportunity to start to work and having gained that experience, they can then go forth um, and become more meaningful participants in the economy. Uh, we obviously need a lot of such uh, interventions. The truth though, is that if our education system continues to be as irrelevant to the economy as it is today, 25 years from now, we will still be talking about fixing the problems of inequality absorbing high levels of unemployment. The number of kids who are coming out of high schools, who are coming out of technical colleges and coming out of universities with inappropriate skills, having spent so much time and money um, and, and they are not employable. That for me is the fundamental problem that we need to address if we want to address inequality. Otherwise, 25 years from now, there will be exactly the same discussion about high levels of unemployment. I think we've got to be quite brutal in saying to, to our authorities and to government, we've got to make a change in terms of the type and quality of education that, um, that uh, we have in our education system to solve the problem of tomorrow. Obviously, having uh, talked about that, we have to solve the problems of today in terms of creating opportunities for the people we have. You can't um, create an economy uh, for the skills you don't have. So we've got to try work with the levels of unemployment. So programs like YES, where corporates are partnering uh, to create opportunities for people to get some experience, because when you try to go for your first interview, people generally say, what experience do you have? So bringing in these youngsters, giving them a year or two of exposure and education, and then letting them go on. Uh, at Investec, we found quite a number of these opportunities, even though uh, some of these people are not in our own environment. We run a very successful entrepreneurship program where we look to expose young people to entrepreneurship. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? How do you prepare yourself uh, for entrepreneurship? What skills do you require? And for those who have small businesses, how do you scale up uh, on your businesses? How do you get to market? because there is a level of preparedness that, uh, that people require to be successful entrepreneurs. So we can do that uh, for today and try to address the, the issue of unemployment, but fundamentally we've got to solve the root cause, uh, which is that uh, if we don't resolve the education issue, we will never tackle the issue of inequality in the country. Funny, that's very concerning and I'm not going to quickly move away from it. You've described the education system as being irrelevant in terms of responding and even solving to the problems of our economy. Where does the mismatch exist? And just when you look at the, just the sheer share uh, of our budget that goes towards education, um, there doesn't seem to be a lack of investment in education. But why, why are the skills, why, why is what we're getting out not equivalent or does not reflect fully what is being put in? Look, I've been quite uh, robust and harsh on the quality of education because I really do want somebody to listen to the fact that uh, the majority of kids coming out of the education system 
are not prepared. We talk about the digital economy. We talk about the fourth industrial uh, revolution. We talk about the need to compete with the globe. We have to compete with kids who are coming out of China, coming out of Brazil, coming out of the US. You need a different level of preparation. So the problems in our country are not the lack of resources. It is how we waste the resources, how we misspend those resources, and how our outcomes do not match uh, the quality of the resources we have. If you look at the World Economic Forum rating of our education, for instance, we are out of maybe 150, 60 uh, countries. We probably are at around 140, 142. There are countries on the continent with very little means who produce a quality of outcomes that is much better. So the economy requires a level of uh, preparation around technical subjects, mathematics. And by technical subjects, I don't mean that you have to be an electronic engineer or you have to be an actuary. You can be a skilled person. For instance, you can be a, a turner. You can be um, a, somebody who has a, a trade uh, that is useful in the mining industry, useful in the manufacturing industry. So we've got to produce skills that match what we require in industry. Otherwise, uh, the, the amount of spending we are deploying into education is wasted. It's, it's a very good point that that, that Fanny makes. Um, the reality is the fact that when you look at how government spends, um, and, and I guess, you know, um, I, I don't de- work with, with, with government, but the reality is that the cost of spending for government is very different from a private sector entity. I know this because, um, you know, through the work that, that I'm involved with um, through the, uh, the Suramaposa Foundation, when we build a school, the, the school is not even, it, it does not cost even 10% of what government would spend to build the same school. So, you know, it, it, the, the, the spend of government is just so high because of, I, I don't know, whether it's all the processes that, that they have to follow. But the reality is that if, if you were to, if, if government was to take the budget and give it to people who could just do the work for them outside of all these uh, PFMN, all these uh, rules of theirs, it would be, the spend would be far lower than, than what government currently um, undertakes. And so, you know, and then at the same time, you have teachers who are not adequately skilled, um, you know, and apart from being adequately skilled, are not adequately motivated. You, you have young people who are coming from very difficult circumstances. So, you know, it's not an issue of just not having access to um, you know, being able to buy books, but there are all sorts of social pandemics that young children are facing. And teachers are finding themselves having to be psychologists, um, you know, so it's not just about teaching mathematics or whatever the case is, but it's about dealing with the fact that the child is facing sexual abuse um, in their home environment. Um, so it's, 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 it's a number of issues that remain unattended for many years. And, and young people have to find a way to succeed within that environment. And then for those few, those few who are actually able to make it out at the top in those, univer- in, in those uh, schools, they then have to figure out how to get to university. Now think of a young kid who is in high school in the rural areas. They have no way of knowing 
that they can get a bursary or unless if some teacher is able to get the information for them. And, you know, so, so, so these are the difficulty that the majority of our young people face. We need to be able to get these solutions to young people and, and, and work closer with government in finding these solutions. And, you know, I, I can't speak for government. I don't know how they, they run things, but, you know, all I know is that we are not giving the solutions to young people. And unless we do, we will not have the country that, even the country that, the little that we have today, even that we would lose. Sure. Uh, allow me to just bring in then the role of, of business, because oftentimes, and both of you would be aware of the general public sentiment about business in this country, business is seen as the biggest beneficiary of the status quo. And so when you speak about uh, business needing to rethink how it operates in South Africa and how it can better be part of the solution and respond to the very real problems that South Africans are facing. What does that look like, especially from, from leaders of industry like yourself? So what are the kind of conversations that you are having about and within your own organizations? Well, I, I think both the corporate sector and government have a responsibility to ensuring that we have an enabling environment for small and medium-sized enterprises um, to support and to protect the sector. Um, and this is due to the fact that we know that they play a vital role in creating jobs and creating growth. Um, after all, SMEs of today um, are, are not SMEs in the future. I mean, Fanny spoke of discovery. Discovery was formed in 1992 as, and it was an, an idea that, that Adrian, Adrian and his partners had at the time and today, they, this is a big business with a market cap of, I think yesterday when I checked, it was around 79 billion, uh, you know, 79 billion rand. So, you know, the fact that you start in a small or medium-sized enterprise today does not mean it will remain that. You know, you, you can grow this business um, in, in, into a great organization. And so the issue is for us to be able to support these businesses. And that's why we as NASPERS have got the foundry. The foundry is the entity that we use to put capital into these small and, you know, they're not even medium sized. These are small um, enterprises. Um, and and we, we, we invest um, anywhere between 30 to just over 100 million of equity into these businesses and we grow them, you know, um, and, and our focus is on scaling them, you know, globally. Um, and, and one of our, the businesses that we've invested in is, is a, a business that's an agritech business. It's called uh, Aerobotics. And the majority of their revenues actually come from the U.S. Um, and, and these are young South Africans who studied at MIT and they've decided to come and start this business here in South Africa. If we are about growth for South Africa, we need to look at these small and medium-sized enterprises. Yeah, if we may, uh, I think it is really patently clear that the future of business has to be a future that understands and accepts that we have a common destiny in a country, that uh, if I live in Sunton, work at Investec, that my destiny is inextricably tied to the people that live in Alexander down the road, that if I don't accept that as a, a common destiny, that in my decision making, I will probably be less effective than I should be. And similarly, 
government has to accept that business is an integral partner to the progress of the country. Uh, what government needs to do is uh, reduce red tape, uh, enable uh, an environment where business can, can invest, give a level of certainty around policy making, but really not, uh, not think of business as an enemy like has been the case for quite a long time. If I was in government, I would do the following. I would maybe take five to 10% of the education budget and run a separate model that is more private sector led to see whether I cannot get better outcomes for lesser money and run that as an experiment because for a parent who lives in a village that I came from, they would like their child to get a, a better education. As an example, if you look about healthcare, as opposed to the government running uh, a public health sector, why not take 10%, 20% of the health budget, uh, get a private sector uh, set of entities to experiment? I think we are at a point of crisis where we have to share the ideology, look for ideas that can work, look for partnerships, and Puti spoke about partnerships earlier on. So I think for me, this moment of crisis calls for more courageous action, calls for bolder action, calls for more radical partnerships between the government and the private sector. And in my case, I would do it in, in education on an experimental basis, as I said, maybe take a province or two and run it uh, differently. Look at healthcare similarly, look at a number of areas where we could deliver to the poor um, whether it be healthcare, it be electricity, it be it be education. So I'm calling for a rethink of the role of the state and the role of the private sector and how we together uh, can take the country forward much more radically. I think it is possible to do because uh, the private sector has been very good at allocating capital. We have uh, capital, we have resources. And we are extremely patriotic. One of the reasons I've been vocal uh, lately is precisely because as a patriotic South African, I think we've come to a point where we've got to stand up and be counted. Um, otherwise, it'll be too late and we will all be saying, could we have done something different? It is out of a position of love for the country and patriotism that we've got to stand up and criticize, but not only criticize, but offer positive solutions that can take the country forward. So I think a far more radical um, uh, idea would be to experiment with public-private partnerships. Look at what's happening um, in the renewable energy space, where you have a program where the private sector can start to invest. You can invest larger sums, you can invest much quicker, you can invite both local and international investors to participate what is the sum total of it? You get more energy, you get cheaper energy for the country as a consequence. So I would encourage our president to really look at uh, public-private partnerships on an urgent basis at a larger scale, and let's take risks as a country. I mean, the issue of uh, unemployment and entrepreneurship that we've spoken about. Uh, I know in, in places like Nguha, uh, uh, what used to be called Kuha. Uh, uh, in the in the um, Eastern Cape, that the idea was to have an industrial development zone, have a, a zone where you can relax uh, regulation, you can have uh, much more flexible labor arrangements so that you can absorb people uh, into employment. We need to be bold to experiment 
uh, and to really try to take the country forward. Investec will be there uh, to support uh, these efforts from government. And of course, we will have a voice to say what we think could be done differently. I'm sure NASPERS uh, will play their part as well. Yeah. And in fact, Fanny, but just back, so, sorry, Cathy, just on, on what you were saying on, on PPPs, you, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I remember that when, when I was still at, at, at Shanduka, what we did was we partnered with uh, the Gahiso Trust and each of us took 100 million rand. We said we'll invest 100 million rand each into a province and we need that province to put match our 200 million rand and that 400 million rand must go into education into that province. And it's exactly what we, we, I remember we went into one province and they told us all sorts of issues around rules and whatever, they couldn't take our money. What, but anyway, uh, the free state, when we went to them, they said, please come. They matched our 200 million, we had 400 million and we went into the schools. We built classrooms and all of that. The, the free state you'll recall is now number one in terms of education, the metric results. Um, and, and, you know, we've gone into areas like Muteu, Fezile, Dabi. These are areas where, you know, the, the pass rates were so low and we've now got them up to the 89% and, 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 and higher. So, so, you know, with just a little bit of, of capital, as you say, when you have partnership with government uh, sectors that, that are, you know, willing to, to work with you, um, you, you, you can produce unbelievable results. So I, I absolutely believe in that, in, in uh, public-private partnerships. Yeah. Put it just on the same score. At Investec, we run a maths and science program uh, yeah. called Kutranong, and we've transformed uh, the future of uh, maths uh, and, and science teaching in a number of these communities. The pass rates that you find, that yeah. you get out of the program by partnering with poor schools and poor communities. And suddenly, as opposed to a child getting say 60, 50, 60%, they get 80, 90%. They don't have to go into an extra year at university for their studies. So yeah. it is possible to do, we have proven it, that you yeah. can make a massive difference, but you require both the private sector and the government to come together in a number of these critical areas like education, energy, um, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. You've both spoken about the issue of inclusion and how whatever trajectory this country needs to go on in, in terms of it being sustainable in as far as its, its success is concerned, needs to be inclusive. When we look at pretty much all the research that has been done, even under COVID-19, about who is the most vulnerable in this country. The face is that of a woman and specifically uh, more of a black woman. And so the, the, conversa the, the, the problem we have is quite gendered in terms of even the unemployment rates that we are seeing. I wonder how this translates itself into the entrepreneurs that you are helping support? What are you seeing? And as far as gender is, is concerned and how are you responding to what we know is often quite a gender biased um, sector? Overall, business uh, itself is, is, is quite gender biased. You just look at the JC, look at the, the, the CEOs of the JC and that in itself tells you a story, Putti. Yeah, well, I, I think you, you, you're absolutely correct. And in the tech sector uh, specifically, um, women are, are, are highly underrepresented. Um, in fact, 
PwC found um, that women currently hold uh, just one fifth of tech related jobs of the top 10 global tech companies in the world. Um, relative to men who have around 80% um, of, of, of the jobs. So whilst we've seen some positive changes over recent years, um, the balance is unlikely to shift significantly um, unless companies, schools, universities, um, and governments work together to rem remedy the underlying causes. Um, it means that more can be done to encourage and support young girls to pursue science, technology, engineering, and mathematics uh, STEM subjects at school. Um, and we need to go further and beyond investing in young girls, um, teaching them the skills to get through the door to the interview and the skills that are hard to uh, automate or to codify, such as creativity, teamwork, and problem solving. The World Economic Forum um, found that in South Africa, only two women graduate with an ICT or technology degree to every five males. Um, women are also underrepresented in maths and statistics, um, four to five men, uh, four women to five men. So this means a limited pool of female STEM talent, um, restricting the potential of South Africa's tech sector. On the positive side, I think more companies recognize the benefits of gender inclusivity and more diverse leadership. NASPERS, for instance, is seeing a pleasing upward trend in the hiring of women. Um, with the last three additions uh, to the board um, of NASPERS, um, all, all three were, were women. Um, there's also an increase in the number of women being recruited into management roles across the group um, of, of, of NASPERS and PROCES. I do believe that digital transformation can help women overcome many barriers and promote gender parity. For example, online or e-learning platforms enable remote learning and provide access to information denied previously. FinTech platforms are helping women to manage their finances, to run businesses and to pay for their children's schooling. So in a nutshell, I believe that achieving gender parity means more than simply opening doors for junior women in your organization. It also means looking beyond the confines of your own company. What impact are you having on the broader society? This is the starting point. I would agree with Puti that uh, first and foremost, we've got to make sure that the girl child has an opportunity to get into science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, because that really is uh, almost a funnel. If you don't get that right, you are unlikely to have the the correct representation as you go forward, just putting uh, more resources and having more examples. As a, as a black person, uh, one of the, um, the limiting factors was not having role models uh, that you could look up to, whether in business or in other significant areas of endeavor. And I think having the likes of Putty, uh, who uh, play very important roles in the economy and having more such people just gives that spark to the girl child that they can be successful as well. But I think it is important that every corporate leader, male or female, must embrace the challenge for gender diversity and representativity. At Investec, we are enthusiastic about, about this. As Puti was uh, talking about uh, the appointments to, to the NASPES board, I can think about the same for Investec. In fact, in our South African business, We've just appointed uh, a finance director for our bank uh, that is a woman. So the commitment has to be increased uh, and it takes both male and female uh, leaders to take this as a personal objective of theirs 
uh, to advance the role of women uh, in business and society generally, I must say. I must say that some of the insights that both of you have been sharing have really, really, really been been great to hear of. And, um, you know, it, it it also had me thinking about just when we talk about rethinking the way that business is done, business is about the bottom line. It's about how much did we make at the end of the day? So when you then hear business leaders talking about business in a way that seems to also take into account the social factors, it brings us to, you know, a conversation about social entrepreneurship. And, uh, you know, I think maybe just your views on how we cultivate a culture. And do you think that's what we need to be doing in this moment, cultivating a culture of social entrepreneurship? Fanny? Yeah, just to start off with, uh, I think uh, when Milton Friedman and uh, his fellow economists uh, looked at the role of an enterprise, it was to generate returns for shareholders. That was a myopic view of, uh, of business. Yes, uh, uh, business allocates capital better, business can be very efficient, but uh, enlightened self-interest implies that business has to be long-term in its nature and has to be multiple stakeholder focused. You may know um, uh, the World Economic Forum last year came out with a strong endorsement of stakeholder capital, the view that the role of business is not only about uh, the bottom line to shareholders, but that we've got to care about the planet for the future generations that come after us. We've got to care about the communities in which we operate. I make no qualms about the fact that I believe capitalism is a force for good. But to be that force for good in the long term, you've got to think about stakeholders uh, beyond just uh, your shareholders. And in fact, for shareholders, now issues like sustainability, issues like climate, issues like ESG have gone up uh, their priority list. Uh, We see shareholders uh, about twice a year, and this issue has become extremely important uh, for them. So when you talk about... uh, stakeholder capitalism, when you talk about social uh, entrepreneurship uh, or social capitalism, these are concepts uh, that have gained a lot of support. And certainly at Investec, we've always been about the communities in which we live. On a percentage of profit basis, we've always contributed uh, to social causes at a rate higher than our competitors. And I I have to thank Stephen Kossip and the founders who understood that without being relevant to community, our own future success will be limited. I think certainly a a social entrepreneurship uh, approach is is a win-win approach uh, to business. Um, It fosters a more equitable society by addressing needs and seeks to achieve uh, ongoing sustainable impact. Um, And it's good for business, not only for now, but for the future. Um, the business that Naspers Foundry um, invests in um, are businesses that are closely aligned with this business philosophy, where they seek to address solutions for local problems through their platforms. Um, and, and so 
dealing with big societal needs. Um, in fact, if, if you look at any of, of our businesses, uh, whether it's our payments or food or any of, of, of our businesses, it's, it's dealing with addressing big societal needs. Um, an example, another example here in South Africa is NASPAS Labs, um, our youth social impact program, um, which empowers young people with digital skills um, and, and places them in, in, in work, as, as I mentioned earlier. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's important to, to, to have a business that is very much in tune with what society's needs are um, so that we can address uh, the needs of society. So, you know, I think overall, personally, um, for me, what, what I would like is, is to have a legacy that is not measured in rands, but is measured by the impact that it has on our people. And so, you know, it, it, it's important, the impact that we are able to make um, through the businesses that, that we are involved in. And so that is why in every aspect of, of our work, we see how we are making an impact in, in the societies that, that we're involved in. In today's world, if you're going to be a place that attracts the brightest uh, minds of young people, they would want to know that you care about more than just making profits on a day-to-day -day basis. They would Absolutely. like to know what your attitude is towards communities towards the environment, towards sustainability. In fact, some of our most bright uh, young people in the business are so passionate about our overall purpose and mission uh, that uh, they push us to continue to move forward and to be a socially relevant uh, business uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So it actually is quite important uh, for purposes of attracting talent that there be a clear purpose uh, about about why you exist in the first place. We are edging towards the end of our conversation today. Um, before we do that, however, I would like to hear from you. We, we've touched on so many different issues, but perhaps just to recenter the conversations. What are the, let's narrow it down perhaps to three priorities, top of your mind, that we need to be doing as a country right now to enable an environment that supports entrepreneurship, to enable an environment that unlocks the entrepreneurship opportunity that we have in this country? Well, I think if, if, if you were to speak to an entrepreneur, the first thing they would probably say is, is capital. Um, but the, the reality is that, um, firstly, I think you, you, you need to ensure that there is the right access to education about how to run a business and run a sustainable business. Um, and so, you know, we, we need to ensure that there, there are those resources for entrepreneurs. Um, and, and, and secondly, we, we need to ensure that we have a, a really direct focus on what we spoke about earlier around PPPs, around education, and, and some of these uh, pivotal areas. Um, and, and then I think um, I, I would say, having done those things, we can then start to look at solutions of around financing and all of that, because I think South Africa has always had access to financing, but it's just, 
ensuring that we have financing for these small, small, small businesses. We have financing for businesses that have a value of 100 million or 50 million. But when you talk about a business that is has a valuation of less than 10 million, the, the, the funding sources are, they, they, they almost don't exist. When I drive around, when I go and see my relatives, whether it's in Soweto or wherever it is, or maybe in Polokwane, um, and, and you see that the businesses that, that were there back then, they haven't grown to a, another scale. It, it, it's not... It's not typical that you will see a Maponya-type mall, which started as a small store in a community and has grown into a mall. Why don't we have more of that? We, we need to have these business people being supported so that they can grow, because by them growing, more people are employed and more opportunities are created for employment. Um, so those, those would be some of my, my parting shots. Yeah, I would agree that uh, we need an ecosystem of support for entrepreneurs. Um, as I said earlier at Investec, we work with um, people that come on as entrepreneurs. We support them to understand what will be required of them, how they need to prepare themselves uh, for the world of entrepreneurship. So that basic support of, uh, to, to, to younger people to understand what it takes then scaling up businesses, as Pretty was talking about it um, uh, just now, is important. How do you move from a business idea or a small business to a large business? And then uh, lastly, uh, getting um, access to markets um, and the like. But I think I'd like just uh, in conclusion to pivot away uh, from entrepreneurship and maybe just go back to the moment that we're in as a country. Um, I think it is important if we're going to build back with strength uh, that there be a level of urgent attention to stability and safety because without that, I don't think businesses are going to be ready to invest to build back. And it is important that businesses build back. It is important that we reestablish the malls in Kwamashu uh, and uh, in Umlazi, in Soweto, in Alexander, but Primary to that is a sense of safety and uh, stability. Second, I think government has to uh, open up uh, channels and support for business, uh, get rid of uh, too much uh, red tape. Business is ready to be a partner. We are ready to put our money where our mouth is. We've got the capital, we've got the expertise, and we are committed to making this country work. Thirdly, to deal with problems of the future, we've got to fundamentally uh, review uh, our education system. Uh, if we don't do that, 25 years from now, as I said, we will still have levels of inequality, high unemployment amongst uh, the youth. And lastly, I would uh, like for the powers that be to really be bold, seize the moment of crisis to move the country forward. We've seen ordinary citizens stand up, protect uh, property, protect uh, malls. We've seen even the tax industry, which a lot of us would always have looked down upon, stand up and be counted. So from a business perspective and from a government perspective, this is the moment. If not now, then when? If not us, then who? Let me thank you again both so much for being part of this conversation. It's been incredibly insightful. And of course, to all of those that are tuned in, you should look out uh, for the next Investec Focus Talk. 
Thank you for listening to this Investec Focus Talk podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to rate us and to listen to more of our candid conversations with leaders, innovators, and changemakers. Make sure you subscribe to Investec Focus Radio wherever you get your podcasts. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.